This morning we're going to be looking at Jesus gave his peace and he gave the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20 verse 19 through to 31. Let's read those verses now. John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father have sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold, my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. In verse 21, we see that Jesus gave his peace to his apostles in connection with them receiving a commission from him to go into the world a world that has no peace, and to go into the world and to preach the gospel of Christ, which is the gospel of peace. This is a world in which ungodly people will say, peace, peace, when the reality is they have no peace. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps That is you, you claim to have peace, but really, when it comes down to it, you've got nothing. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the only way that you will ever have a real peace, one that endures, is if you repent and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. He, that is Jesus, will reconcile you to God and he will give you a peace with God that will weather all the storms of life. For example, a person who is trusting in Jesus and who is in some war zone with bullets whistling over his head as he cowers in a bunker, 
has a far greater peace than a Christ-rejecting person right here in our green and pleasant land. Does that make any sense to you? It's a real peace. doesn't matter what the circumstances of that person's life are, what he or she is going through at the time, and admittedly it can be some pretty nasty and scary things, but if that person has been recon- reconciled to God, he has a peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a kind of peace that um, is deep and it endures forever. We can consider proclaiming the gospel of peace. When you read the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see that in the first instance, those who were sent to proclaim the gospel of peace were the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not just the apostles. As you read, you realise there were others as well that went about proclaiming the gospel of peace. For example, there was Philip the Evangelist. Beyond that, though, the whole church, in Acts of the Apostles, the whole church was involved in the work of preaching the word, preaching the gospel of peace. That ought to be the case now as well. Whilst it is clearly the duty of missionaries, pastors, evangelists and Bible teachers to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, All true Christians have received the peace that we read of in John chapter 20. They have, you if you're a Christian, you have received that peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you too ought to share the gospel of peace with others as the Lord opens up doors of utterance to you and as he gives you opportunities at various times, in various places, to witness the love and the peace of God. That ought to apply to all Christians, to varying degrees. Dear Christian, as a recipient of the peace that Jesus gives, you have something very, very precious to share with others. We can consider Jesus... The creator God. The one who gives this peace is the creator God. In the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, the very first chapter records details of the six days of creation. We, we looked at it earlier in this service and it's all very clear, isn't it? Six days of creation. And then in the next chapter, in verse 7, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it is written that the Lord God... In other words, Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That is when Jehovah God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul. Here in the New Testament, right here in John chapter 20 and verse 22, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ breathing on people and giving them the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at verse 22 here. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. 
Can you see any connection? Can you see that Jesus is the Lord God of Genesis? That he is Jehovah Jesus. John's gospel is packed from start to finish with the humanity and the divinity of the Lord Jesus. Can you see that even here in John chapter 20, verse 22, the divinity of Jesus is being set forth before us. You could so easily miss it, but then ask yourself, when you look at verse, let's have a look at verse 22 again. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. For me, even a verse like that speaks volumes about the divinity of Jesus. That he is the creator God. Who else can breathe on people and and say to them, receive the Holy Ghost, God the Holy Ghost? Who other than God can say and do such things? The answer must surely be no one. May it please God for every one of you to see just who the risen Jesus is, that he is God manifest in the flesh. We can look at Jesus commissioning his apostles. In verse 22 it is written that Jesus breathed on them, but who is them? Who did he breathe on? Who did he give give the Holy Ghost to? After all, there were various people in the room. John Calvin Calvin and various other theologians take it as meaning that Jesus breathed on the, the apostles and he gave the apostles the Holy Spirit. As to why Jesus did that, well, the apostles were commissioned by Jesus to establish his church upon his ascension to heavenly glory. That's very clear in various other Bible passages. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, it speaks of the household of God being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So not just the apostles, but the prophets. The foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The authority and the power that the prophets of old received from God can be clearly seen in the commission that God gave to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10 where the Lord said to him, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. That's quite a commission that the Lord God gave to his prophet, isn't it? Therefore, the Lord set Jeremiah over the nations and kingdoms and the Lord gave Jeremiah the power and the authority to root out and to pull down and to destroy and so on. You need to understand that the prophets were not superhuman. What was said and what was done by them was all of God. For example, the prophet Jeremiah, he prefixed everything he proclaimed. What did he say first of all? Thus saith the Lord. 
it was very clear that when the prophet Jeremiah spoke with power and he spoke infallibly, he was a mouthpiece for the Lord God. Likewise, the apostles of old said what they said and they did what they did as they were led and they were empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Things such as infallibly proclaiming the gospel of Christ, we can proclaim the gospel of Christ and we don't always get it right because we're not fallible. Uh, Sorry, we're not infallible, we're fallible. But the apostles, when they were sent forth on their commission to proclaim the gospel and to establish the church, what they said, they said with infallibility because they were given the power, the authority uh, in a very special way by Jehovah Jesus. And they even absolved or forgave people. We see that there. Um, Look at verse 23. Whosoever sins ye remit. This is Jesus speaking to his apostles. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Very clearly, I hope you can see that in that verse. That's that's very clear that what they said and what they did was of God. God worked through those apostles infallibly and perfectly as only God can do. The ministry of the apostles was unique. They had all seen the Lord Jesus Christ In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it is written that with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Again, that would have been with great power, not of themselves, but of God, the Holy Spirit, upon them. Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit on them. We can look at, uh, or I'll turn to it, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1 to 6, concerning the apostles here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. The apostle Paul said, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, Ward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The Old Testament, it has details of the gospel of Christ as it relates to Gentiles. And straight away I can think of Isaiah chapter 53 and many other passages in the Old Testament 
the gospel of Christ. You've confined it. It's there in the Old Testament. But the revelation remained somewhat mysterious until such time those details were revealed by God to his apostles, resulting in the gospel of Christ being recorded in the New Testament for our benefit. Although the Lord Jesus Christ continues to build his church and day by day repentant sinners are still being added to the church, it has now been established, the church has now been established for many years, 2,000 years. And we have the gospel of Christ and the doctrine of the apostles fully recorded in the New Testament. Therefore, the apostolic office has served its purpose and is now obsolete. And anyone who now claims to be an apostle is at the very least delusional. The same would apply to modern day prophets. They too are delusional. Since all prophecy is sealed up in the Bible, and besides which, and we looked at this on the Bible study, at the Bible study on Wednesday, it's written in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. As I said, no more apostles and no more prophets. Last of all, we can jump to verse 30 and 31. Let's have a look at those two verses in John chapter 20. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Many other signs truly did Jesus. It says in verse 30 there. In the first instance, that would refer to the risen Saviour appearing in that locked room bodily. This caused problems with the apostles, didn't it? We've seen that last week. They they could see it was Jesus there, but they couldn't actually believe at first that he, he was there in body because the door was locked. And Jesus had to open their understandings to to show that he was there in the body. So in the first instance, the signs would would refer to that. And, uh, and that resulted in Thomas proclaiming my Lord and my God in verse 28, when finally he believed that Jesus had risen bodily. My Lord and my God, he said. Perhaps you remember me talking about that last Sunday and pointing out that the self-proclaimed Jehovah's Witnesses reject the bodily resurrection of Jesus despite the weight of evidence in the Gospel books and even in the Old Testament. The testimony uh, that clearly tells us that Jesus would rise bodily and that is risen bodily. 
But coming back to the signs there in verse 30, the Greek word that is translated signs is also translated miracles. As such, we need not limit the signs or the miracles of Jesus to his bodily appearances in the locked room. If the signs referred only to that, only to that his appearances in that locked room and nothing else, then there would have been no need for the Apostle John to say in verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus. Clearly he's talking beyond that locked room where Jesus appeared. What John was saying was that Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles. He performed other miracles apart from uh, the miracles that have been recorded in this book. Miracles that we don't know about, that aren't recorded in in this book, in the book of John. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Jesus turning water into wine in chapter 2, healing the nobleman's son in chapter 4, healing a paralysed man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5, feeding the multitude with five loaves and two small fishes in chapter 6, walking on water in chapter 6, giving sight to a man born blind in chapter 9, raising Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. All of those signs are recorded that why? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's why all those signs... All those miracles are recorded in John's Gospel and beyond, not just John's Gospel, the other Gospels as well. They're not there just for the sake of it. They're there for a reason. And it's not just about believing that Jesus did all those signs and miracles. And the reason I say that is because the signs and the wonders, the miracles, were performed by others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just Jesus. As for being raised from the dead bodily, Jesus was not the only one. In chapter 11, Lazarus was raised bodily, despite decay having begun to set in. The point is that the miracles and the signs that Jesus did attested to what he said. They attested to his words. For example, Jesus declared himself to be the resurrection and the life before he raised Lazarus from the dead. The miracle was performed of raising Lazarus from the dead, but we need to listen to what Jesus said beforehand. He declared himself to be the resurrection and the life. And then he spoke to a corpse, a dead body, and, le- and said, Lazarus, come forth. And that dead body obeyed the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Also in chapter 9, there's that person who was born blind. At the beginning of the chapter, in verse 11, he referred to Jesus as nothing more than a man. That's all Jesus was to him, a man. And Jesus had already given him his sight. 
The miracle had been performed, but still Jesus was a man. Nevertheless, that miracle, it laid the foundation for what was to follow, including the conversation that followed. And then towards the end of the chapter, in verses 35 to 38, in chapter 11, let's see what Jesus said, what his words were, and how that man responded. The, the, the miracle of restoring his sight was important, but it's what it led to and what it's connected to. The words of Jesus and what happened. I'm going to turn to that. John chapter 9. Okay, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Lovely verses of scripture there. The sign, the miracle attested to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is who he said he is, the Son of God. In closing, the Old Testament makes it very clear that God would send his Christ into the world that his Christ would perform various signs and wonders and that his Christ is the Son of God. The Old Testament makes that clear. The New Testament gospel writers recorded details of the virgin birth of Christ, who is the Son of God, and they recorded details of some of the miracles that Jesus performed. Details are given of the very clear testimonies of those who were with Jesus, who heard him, who witnessed his signs, his miracles, that he is God. Such as Thomas in verse 28, who said, my Lord and my God. In other words, I don't know what more people want. They've got everything. You've got everything in this book, the Bible. You've got the miracles. You've got the very clear testimony of Jesus and those who were with him, who saw his miracles and who heard what Jesus said. What more do people want? Has God opened your eyes to see that it's not just about believing the signs as as wonderful as they were? It's about believing in the one who performed the miracles that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that you might have everlasting spiritual life through his name. Whoever believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into this world, fulfilling the law, the prophets, fulfilling everything on your behalf and laying down his life at the cross. For you, was this a reality for you? It was a reality, but was it for you? May God open eyes to see Jesus for who he is, the Son of the living God. Amen.